Welcome to the CFB Paint Podcast. We aren't Photoshop, we're not Illustrator. We're your bare bones essentials college football podcast, giving you the pixelated, crudely edited coverage you need for the preseason, midweek, and off-season doldrums while you wait for the action on Saturdays. You've got Court, Steve, Mark, and Brian, four brothers, college football fans with decades of heartbreak and a few years of ecstasy, here to guide you through your own gridiron roller coaster with all the side drama along the way. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the CFB Paint Podcast. We appreciate you joining in with us. Uh, we had a wild week of football, excited to get into everything that happened and, and what we're looking forward um, this next weekend for the rest of the season. Let's start our rapid round uh, in order of, let's go with the most famous person you met. So I'll, I'll you know, share mine first because I'm, this list is brief. Uh, I don't think there was much to think about. In fact, I, I wasn't sure I'd I'd met somebody famous, but I'm here with my my mom for Thanksgiving, and she reminded me I did get Bobby Bowden's autograph at a Sonny's Barbecue in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, when I was like seven or eight years old. So it's got to be Bobby Bowden because I don't think I've, I've actually got anybody else famous to add to the list. So I uh, was also at Sonny's Barbecue that day, so I've met Bobby Bowden. I also, when I was at school at BYU, worked at one of the more pricey restaurants. And so I had the opportunity to run into uh, Jimmer Fredette, got to serve him and Taysom Hill and Jabari Parker. If that's a notable name, he came in two, two weeks in a row. He was a lot more fun in college than he was as a pro basketball player. So I, I would I would say that between Taysom and Jimmer, at least with the current generation, I have probably the more famous person than than Bobby Bowden. I want to know who tipped the best. Uh, Taysom, easy. Yeah, that's why he's an investment banker nowadays. Like he does investment and stuff like that because he got the money to do that kind of thing. From my perspective, I've had some interesting little, um, I don't know, I just events in my life. Like I worked the Florida State football games when Florida State was good. I worked in sessions, and so we had to show up early and leave late. But when we show up early, all the quarterbacks and kickers and stuff like that are out there. So I mean, we used to catch the kickers' balls and stuff like that. I have Chris Winkie's like sweat towel from. When he played there, I have Crafonzo Thorpe's armbands from when he was there. You know, um, I think I remember when Florida State lost for the first time in like a long, long time because um, I was there. So I met some Florida State players. I've met Bobby Bowden growing up in Tallahassee, but I also uh, served my mission in in L.A., which is a lot, has a lot of famous people. For 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 you older people, I met the drummer from Lifehouse. Not not a famous, overly famous band. Um, I one day found myself in the house of a person from a group called Take Six. They won 11 Grammys. There were six of his Grammys sitting on the wall, um, which was kind of cool. Um, but I, probably the most famous person I ever met, um, in my opinion, was a lady named Darlene Hard. And it's probably not a name that most people would know. Back in the 50s and 60s, she was the best, second best tennis player in the world. She just recently passed away this last year. But I got the opportunity to, to hang out at her house and, and help clean her front yard. And it was a cool experience just to kind of meet her and see somebody that was great in the, back in the day. Um, went and looked up who she was even more after I heard what her name was. And they're like, hey, go, the, the people I was with were like, go look her up. And I mean, if you look up her resume, she's won countless doubles championships. Like, I think she won Australian Open like three times, the US Open like five, and then the French Open like three times. I think she or no, sorry, Wimbledon like three times. And then I think it was Australian, she won like once. Um, but then she won a few times as, as a singles title and got some Olympic medals. So that's probably the most famous person. I've also met the BYU football coach, Kalani Sataki. I was on the plane with him. I don't know. I feel like I'm just name dropping now. It's kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th I think certainly for uh, both uh, Brett and probably the single most famous individual, even if, if not currently famous. Corey, you've got to win, then Brian, um, and then I'll go last. Though I, I will, you know, we joke about Taysom making all those money, all that money. Uh, Jabari Parker signed an incredible deal uh, a few years back. It was like four years, $90 million, maybe it was five years. Uh, so good for him as well. Corey's forgetting also a, a very prominent golfer on the, on the tour. Oh, that's right. Yeah, actually, I've got two more. Like, so one day the doorbell rang and I opened the door and there's this kid standing at my door. He's about 10 years old and he's like asking for our next door neighbor. And I look up and Tony Finau is sitting in an Escalade behind him waiting for his kid. And I'm like, oh, you want the kid next door? But I'm like, that's Finau. I went and talked to my neighbors. I was like, 
uh, is your friend friends with Tony Finau's kid? And they're like, yeah. I was like, that's nuts. <laughs> I also have um, pictures of, uh, of myself and my wife and Allison with one of the Bryan brothers who they were number one world doubles tennis champion for a long, long time too. So I feel like a loser. You know, I, I, like I said, I, when I started this exercise, I'm like, I don't know if I've, I've actually met anybody. I just need to get out more, I guess. Well, with that, <laughs> Corey, kick us off. What, what's your reaction for the week? Um, my reaction for the week is Florida state is the one lone school out of the state of Florida this week to uh, get a, get a win. FIU lost, FAU lost, UF lost, UCF lost, Miami lost. You know what? To be a Florida State fan right now, I'm a happy man. And we'll give credit where credit's due. Fam, you did win, but they are not, you know, top tier league. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited to see where this goes and see where Florida State carries itself. But also, this week was a crazy week. We talked about it being a, possibly a crazy week and a, possibly a boring week, possibly a crazy week. It definitely landed on the crazy, and, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll- jump in a little bit with you just on the Florida loss part. I was very nervous when I was doing my games that I'm excited for next week or last week's pod. I knew the PAC 12 games were going to be big. And then I threw in Florida versus Vandy. And I was like, maybe that's just, you know, my own rooting bias. There's nothing actually going to happen there. What a, what a beautiful thing to watch. Oh, you've picked a great game to watch. Anybody who is listening to you thinks you're a genius and you now know what a trap game looks like and how to predict one. I don't, but I was really excited that I didn't look like an idiot. That's for sure. The other thing I, or I had a reaction I wanted to give is the college football playoff rankings are a little stupid to me. Um, LSU is number five. Why are they number five? And I look specifically, let's look at LSU and Clemson. Clemson is number eight. LSU has beat number seven, Alabama. So that's their best win. And they've lost to number 10, Tennessee, and number 16, Florida State. Clemson has their best win as number 16, Florida State, who LSU lost to. And their one loss, one loss, not two, is to number 15, Notre Dame. This seems like a pretty cut and dry case to me. I can't understand how you can have those two not in the same order, much less separated by three places. Makes no sense. And, you know, we... I think early on I overreacted to rankings and then I started to not care about them, but now they're about to matter because if LSU beats Georgia in the title game, Georgia and LSU are both going to go to the playoff and that's garbage because LSU frankly doesn't deserve it. If, if Clemson goes ahead and wins out, it's. And that, that's exactly why rankings don't matter because LSU is not going to beat Georgia. And but, but if they least, did, it would matter because it, it doesn't matter until it does. And right now is the point where we're getting to the point it, it's going to matter. We've seen though that the college football playoff, rankings have switched week over week over week with not a lot of sense and sometimes the the, the week when they announce who's going to get into the bowls all of a sudden they drop the right person in the fourth spot and we're like oh or like so i'm not totally worried about this honestly i think it's going to work itself out i don't think there's any way you can justify getting two sec teams in at this point even if lsu beats georgia i don't know i think if they go in with these current rankings there's no way they can justify not doing it if LSU is number five and they beat the best team in the country, you're not going to drop Georgia out of the top four, and you can't say LSU is no longer a top four team. It feels like these rankings, more so than maybe any time I've noticed in the future, like have been decided. When I say that, you know, look at UNC dropping four, four spots after using losing to a bad Georgia Tech football team. You know, and, and they slide four spots. And I, that was one of the big – and now the – didn't matter much. I can't remember the exact rankings. It was 21 to 25 or something like that. But it's, you know, it's down in the lower half. It doesn't impact much, but it's, I think it touches on exactly what you're saying, Brian. We've got an idea of what we, we think these teams are. And now the performance on the field matters less than what we think about them, which is, you know, interesting. Well, for me, I mean, Corey was right. I think the rest of us were kind of saying this week would be boring last week. And Corey said, nah, this, this has the feeling of a trap week. And this was an amazing week of football. I mean, there were so many important games, good games, shocking games. You could put, you know, different things in, in different categories there um, and gives us kind of great storylines and in going into rivalry week. Uh, the, no, the other thing I thought about is there are no games off against talented teams. I think a lot of the times we, you don't see this often. Um, you know, the, the better team wins most of the time, but particularly in the SEC with, Arkansas and South Carolina, we saw two middling teams whack the upper end of their conference 
in games that those teams were just not ready to play in. You know, Arkansas fans thought it was week four all over again. They were they were killing Ole Miss. Uh, and in fact, they did. They gave up 21 points in the fourth quarter after the game was done, but they were up on, on them 42 to six. And uh, South Carolina ran out of fireworks on Tennessee. So uh, unbelievable um, games for them. Last thing I'll leave you with is, is my, my jersey commentary for the week. I don't have big losers for the week. The big winner, I love the USC-UCLA color rush, you know, jerseys, the USC in their red and yellow, and uh, UCLA coming out in those beautiful powder blue and golds. UCLA has some of the best colors in football, and uh, watching the, both of those, those jerseys, I, I'm not a huge fan of USC ones, but I think they play really well against, against the UCLA jersey. So I thought, thought that game was both visually appealing, also – an incredible game to watch. So I'll leave you with that. And let's jump into the recap last week. We'll, we'll blow through a lot of these games and then, then come back and, and double click on some. Uh, the Big 12 probably gave us the most exciting game of the week, certainly the most exciting finish. TCU escapes Baylor 29 to 28. Oklahoma becomes bowl eligible, winning Bedlam and continuing Oklahoma State's nightmare second half. Then to the Pac-12, USC beats UCLA uh, in a in a fantastic game. Um, if you look at the whole game, I might call this one the game of the week, uh, while TCU would take home the finish of the week. Oregon tops Utah at home, uh, doing so with a hobbled Bo Nix in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State figure out how to stay unbeaten against lesser opponents. Michigan squeaks out a, a win against Illinois, 19-17 Ohio State against Maryland, 43-30, to with a, a score nine seconds left in the game that made that game uh, feel further out than it was and in the sec i mentioned south carolina whooping tennessee arkansas killing Ole miss and georgia faces its its best uh best opponent against uh since missouri i guess it, with kentucky winning that game 16 to 6 um in the acc georgia tech knocks off the fighting drake mays unc goes down and uh in, in non-power five news navy beats you uh, ucf so good job for the midshipmen with that, let's uh, let's go back and, and double click into some of these games. The TCU Baylor game. I'll just give a brief recap of that one for those who missed this game. Wildly entertaining game and a reminder that in close games you have to execute. We we keep telling people uh, you got to play TCU for sixty minutes. That was no no more true in any other game than this one, where they kick the game winning field goal as time falls off the clock things that kind of swung this game or, or opportunities to do things different. Baylor loses three points at the end of the first half, at least three points by throwing a pick in the end zone. And then TCU, uh, they're not perfect themselves. They, they find themselves down and scrambling at the end of the game because they miss a PAT. Anyways, they go into the fourth quarter, uh, eight minutes or with six minutes left, TCU gets the ball and they're down eight. Um, they drive the field and score. So they're down eight because that missed P or they're down two because that missed PAT. And so now they've got to go for two um, instead of taking the one point and, and being, being tied. They get a great look and Duggan rolls out, hits his running back. And it's just a little bit off the chest and his, the running back drops it. He's, he's going to easily score if he catches the ball. And so now they're down two uh, with about four minutes left. They end up getting the ball back with a, a minute 45 left and start marching down the field to get just inside their own 30. So now they're in, in field goal range with about 30 seconds left. And then this game gets really weird. They run the ball on first down with 22 seconds left. And on second down, they clock it. The quarterback spikes it. And I guess in between that happening, the kicker runs over to the team and says, hey, I want to kick from the center of the field. So they snap, they do one more snap with 17 seconds left on the clock. The running back takes it, runs to the right-hand side, centers it up a little bit, and then goes down with 12 seconds left. They've got no timeouts. It's now fourth down. They can't clock the ball. And so with 17 seconds left, they got to get their, you know, their offense off, special teams on, and a game-winning kickoff. It's a fire drill field goal which is executed unbelievably. Kicker drills the field goal. They remain undefeated. These Horn Frogs, they get asked, Max Duggan gets asked a really dumb question at the end of the, the uh, 
game by the interviewer saying, is it fate? Did you know you're going to win? Like, no, 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 we got to execute, but we decide to play football for 60 minutes. Um, now the fact that they don't, you know, play for 15 minutes and then get a cruise for 45 minutes, we'll probably catch up to them in the playoffs that they, they, they decide that they have to play everybody tough, but that was the smoothest fire drill field goal I've ever seen. I've watched that play like six, seven, eight times. They get the snap off with five seconds left. It doesn't even feel like a fire drill. The offense gets on and set like perfectly fast. It doesn't feel frantic in, in the moment. It does. Cause you're like, Oh, clock's winding down. You go watch a replay of that game. And you're like, they, they are so well coached. Sonny Dykes talked about it at the end of the game. We practice this every Thursday. And you hear coach say that all the time, Go watch the replay. You know, they practice that every Thursday, that team looked so organized and it really paid off. Yeah, that field goal was unbelievable to watch. Just, I see them running the ball, and I go, oh, my gosh, they're going to lose the game on time. This is this is over for them. And then that line gets set. And something, I, I was listening to Greg McElroy early in this week, so got to give all credit to him for pointing this out. Kickers are creatures of habit. Their job is regimented. They do the same routine every time they kick a field goal because they want it to be as automatic as possible. I think about Martin Gramatica, whose nickname is Automatica, but that's what you really want from a kicker, is somebody who is just a machine, just goes out there, does the same thing every time, gets a consistent result. The kicker for TCU runs out there, does not do his typical three steps back, two steps to the side kick. He runs out and lines up the exact distance away from the holder that he needs to be. And I know that sounds small and stupid, but... It's not something that he does on any of his other kicks. Every other kick, three steps back, two steps to the side. So to not only have the wherewithal to, hey, we got to go get lined up, get everything set immediately because clock's running. And, and like you said, Mark, they had, did have some time because they did it so well. But now you're kicking outside of your normal routine and not face at all, perfect kick, good as soon as he hit it. Just an outstanding finish to that game. Something that is a, a team that's given us a lot to watch this year and they've continued to do so. To me, they remind me a lot of um, both 2014 Florida State, who's finding ways to win games where they've made them more difficult than they needed to be. And then also a little bit of 2013 Auburn, where game just kind of bounces right your way when it needs to. There's a combination of those two. That, that 2013 Auburn team had the craziest Hail Mary you ever watched, where a Georgia DB gives the ball to the Auburn wide receiver uh, for the win. And then the kick six against Alabama, that's pretty famous if you don't know it I mean you can google out in your own time but this TCU team has has some finishes of their own and they are keeping the drama high week in week out neither of those other teams though were able to win a national title so we'll see what the ceiling is for this TCU team yeah Brian you gave a couple comparison teams the, the team that came to mind for me uh because of that last note this, this feels like the Toronto teams that played LeBron James like figure out how to win and be really productive in the regular season only to go to the playoffs and get whacked. Uh, like <laughs> I said, you know, it, it's a great thing that they play 60 minutes, but a lot of these really good teams only have to play 30 minutes and then their backups get to play 30 minutes. So it's a great story right now. It'll be very interesting. I hope they went out. I want them to get in the playoff, um, but then expect them to get throttled by any one of those teams. I can't say anything more than you guys have said. This is a 60 minute team. Sonny Dykes has coached the heck out of this team. I mean, that's the one thing I'm interested about seeing them in a playoff if they get there is to see their game plan, to see how they they fight and claw for the for the whole time. Because if they run into potentially a Georgia who decides not to play for a little bit, they might have a chance to, in that game. Granted, I still think Georgia is just toying around with all, all its games. But if Georgia doesn't take them seriously, watch out. Last thing I'll say on TCU is especially particularly uh, Max Duggan, he has thrown three interceptions all year. Uh, it is huge to have a quarterback that doesn't turn over the ball, that you aren't beating yourself. That's one thing that keeps you in these sort of games where they've, you know, they've had these high drama games. It's because they're not eliminating themselves from the game in the first half or um, partway through. And, and may even touch on this with Caleb Williams, but this is something that really good quarterbacks or, or teams that perform really well, their quarterback isn't always the best in the country. These aren't all Bryce Young's but they're not giving the ball away and they're being responsible with what they got. They're very good. Um, and I think that's been a, a big thing for TCU is they could have had a lot of times where one mistake would have lost them a game, but the thing is they just haven't made it. And that is, uh, I'm going to give a lot of credit of that to Max Duggan. Yeah. 
and I think you touched on the right game as the comparison. I thought you were going with the opposite quarterback with DTR, who plays a really good game uh, in our next game, but throws three picks, including the one that ends the game. Um, so let's chat a little bit. UC, USC, UCLA took us up late in the night. Uh, Corey, you, you want to give us some thoughts on that game? Yeah, as our dad used to tell us, UCLA stands for UC, you clowns lose again. Our dad went to USC, coached debate at USC, so he's a big USC fan. So I was definitely going to watch that game just for him, his sake. Uh, UCL or USC starts off kind of slow. They have a drive where they turn it over on downs, then they have an interception, then they have a punt, and pretty soon we know they're down 14 nothing. But like Mark said, DTR throws three interceptions, they have a fumble, and USC starts the clock way back into that game. And it Caleb Williams looked so, so good. I think he was what? 32 for 40 out of, out of 43 for 470 yards, two touchdowns and an interception um, carrying that team. Granted, he didn't put it in the end zone as much as, you know, you think with 470 yards, but he moved that team up and down, down the field. It was very, very impressive. The one thing I will say is like the punt late in the fourth quarter, you thought that might cost them the game. It was kind of interesting. Like the commentator made the comments like, Hey, the next team that punts is going to lose. And then right after that USC has to punt. And you're like, oh, crud, they're up 48-45. UCLA has the ball. They're going to go win this game now. And DTR throws another interception. Such a fun game to watch. Caleb Williams put himself, put his name even further into the Heisman conversation. If USC goes on and beats uh, Notre Dame this week and then potentially most likely Oregon in in the championship game and they get to the playoffs, how do you not put that kid in the Heisman, at least in the top three or four? So it'll be interesting. Yeah, he's got second best odds right now. Um, you've got, uh, I think you can credit both teams for not folding at various points in that game. So USC gets down 14 nothing, and they figure out obviously how to scrap and fight their way back in. Of little note, uh, UCLA regains, uh, regains the lead in that game after giving up go or after allowing USC to go on a 34 to 10 run. So after UCLA gets up 14, nothing USC goes on a 34, 10 run. They end up in the game up 35, 25. And I thought at that point, USC is going to roll this team. Like, you know, it was fun while it lasted. They figured out UCLA, but you know, this game is over and UCLA fought and clawed back, played really good football, uh, you know, had the lead and had the ball, the chance to win the game. And just a, an unfortunate error. And I, I was sad for, for DTR because he really played a terrific game. I mean, he threw probably five really bad passes. And unfortunately, three of them got picked uh, for him. Um, but one of the things that I think also should be noted is that guy's will and desire to win this football game. He was awesome. Um, I don't know exactly what's wrong with his hand. Anyways, it was, you know, grimacing towards the end of the game obviously having a hard time. Uh, it got hit on a helmet a couple times, but was still, you know, still out there gunning to win. And then there was a play that was, you know, really actually, I saw it twice. Once with six minutes left in the second quarter, they run kind of a, I don't know if it was a counter or a reverse, but they end up getting, you know, DTR as the lead blocker for the, I don't even think it was Charbonnet. It might've been for, for the ball carrier. And he goes and he dives out of safety. He's not sure he's going to be able to get the block. And so he literally dies to hit the safety and try and just give his running back an edge. And you never see that from a quarterback. He did the same thing like in the third quarter, maybe, you know, just hats off to DTR and all that he did to try and win that football game. But USC, you know, lives on a fight on USC another day. They're marching towards the, the college playoff. A couple of things just want to add. First of all, big 10 added to way more exciting teams to watch than the SEC did. Um, When you look at USC, UCLA versus Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, you're going to consistently actually get the stands filled. So there is that going for it. But with the coaching that you have in the USC, UCLA rivalry right now, some of the best football being played in Southern California in the the whole country. And that's just an awesome thing to watch. The other thing I wanted to touch on is, and I touched on this before, Caleb Williams. I know he had the one interception this game, but like that also is his third interception all year. And I remember watching was it week three or four when they were playing Oregon state. And I'm going, I don't know if this guy's really going to do anything. And all he's done is prove me wrong all year. He's been exceptional. Um, and uh, just a really uh, standout performance that I think, you know, might be one of the things that pushes him over the line in the Heisman race this year. I think 
throughout the season, there hasn't been the early front runner that's emerged and, and kept it sort of like a Robert Griffin, the third. And so I'm wondering if there will be any of these late candidates uh, who will be, I don't know, might, might jump up and mix up the race. Think about, I may have been 2009 in Dominican Sioux where he has like four sacks and just dominates and ragdolls uh, Colt McCoy in the big 12 title game. And I think Mark Ingram ended up still winning that one. I want to say that was the Mark Ingram, Toby Gerhardt. It was that year, but Caleb Williams is, is the, uh, is the Mark Ingram in this situation where I think he's been extremely good. This is in my opinion, his best performance of the season, but I don't think the door is shut and closed. And I think we could see some, some standout performance if Blake Corum has an outstanding game this next week or, or what, whatever may happen. We're not somebody who's, out of the blue, but somebody who isn't as highly rated right now could jump in there. Yeah, I'll point out CJ Stroud has been the front runner since the start of the season and still the odds on favorite to win the Heisman. And frankly, who I would pick to win the Heisman, I think he he's going to beat Michigan and, and go collect his Heisman trophy. Now, he, he hasn't, you know, put the put the thing to bed. You, you mentioned Robert Griffin. That guy was unbelievable all year. Uh, CJ Stroud has not been unbelievable all year, but he's been you know, really good getting the job done. And, and there's a reason he's still the odds on favorite. I think like, depending on how that Michigan and Ohio state game goes and if how Blake Corm looks, cause he remember he got injured in the end of the last, of the last game or not in the end, sorry, like second quarter last game. Um, if, if Michigan is able to pull it out, I could see it swinging his way too. That's the one thing is like, you have these top, probably two of the top three people that are for the Heisman fighting each other. That's going to be, that's going to sit in voters minds pretty, pretty potently. I think. 100% agree. I, I think that Ohio State will win this football game uh, this upcoming weekend, which is why I say CJ Stroud. But I agree, if he loses the football game, I don't know that. And unless he throws for 500 yards, I don't know that he'll win the Heisman. So let's let's move further down the, the Pac-12, Oregon, Utah. I've just got a, a quick comment on this. You know, this was a very interesting game. It was a game. It was very interesting, frankly, probably because Bo Nix was obviously injured. Uh, he, he does not run the ball until the critical third uh, third and one with like a minute 30 left on the clock. They pick it up. You know, he, he advances the change that allows them to kneel the ball out. But taking away a guy who's averaging over 50 yards a game rushing and just the element of the QB run, I think makes them significantly easier to guard. Uh, also, Bo Nix has had games of, of multiple, I think even three rushing touchdowns this year. Um, so. It's, it's a big part of their offense that wasn't there. But because of that, Utah's in the football game. And this is really a game to me where Cam Rising let the Utes down. He just was not good enough in this game. He threw for just over 200 yards, um, threw a, a career-high three interceptions. And this is the second time this year you've seen that. I, I would also say that the the opening loss on Florida was also on Rising, who is a very good quarterback, right? You, he, you know, Utah's a, a, a three-loss team. They're not a bad team, but um, – didn't get enough uh, get get enough play of the, out of their quarterback. He throws a pick with six minutes left. They're down three with the ball, driving in the fourth quarter. He throws a pick. They get it back like two minutes later. Sorry, I got these reversed. With six minutes left, they're driving. It's fourth and two on like the forty, somewhere between the forty and thirty, and they play action, roll out. Rising Scott Dalton Kincaid, his favorite target, targeted him seventeen times yesterday. Throws it right at his ankles. Guy's wide open. I'm, <clears throat> I didn't see the 22 camera view, but if he catches it, I mean, he's certainly picking up the first down. He's probably picking up 15 more yards. I'm not even sure if there's a safety on that side of the field. I mean, he may, he may go score. Two minutes later, they get the ball back. Rising throws another pick. And then, then they get the ball back with one more shot. So they get the ball three times in the fourth quarter down these three points and just can't push the ball down the field. Uh, bummer. I was rooting for Utah. Um, much to this may have, you know, my parents and, and fellow BYU fans everywhere. I, I, uh, you know, dislike Oregon even more, but they just didn't get enough play out of their quarterback. And uh, Oregon stays, uh, there, just stays alive in their hunt to get to the uh, Pac-12 title game. You didn't include in your commentary how you felt about Oregon's jerseys this week around. What do you do? These ones are I terrific. Like yeah, these are terrific. Those, those are their best jerseys. Down to the Big Ten, Michigan relies on its kicker, Jake Moody. That Brian mentioned kickers needing to be automatic. This guy basically is from 40 yards or under. He's hit 38 of his last 39 field goals from 48, uh, 40 yards or under. And Michigan outscores Illinois 9-0 to zero in the fourth quarter. All field goals from, you know, who, who better be the Grozo winner. Uh, that guy is in, an incredible weapon. 
this was an interesting game to me. It was more about what Michigan can't do on offense. Obviously, Britt Blake Corum went down as a huge loss. Uh, he ends up playing sporadically in the second half, um, but only really has one carry for five yards. He went over 100 yards in the first half. So the game maybe looks different if he finishes, but you can blame the loss uh, on the fact that he really was ineffective, but I don't, or the, the close game on the fact that he was ineffective. They weren't that effective with him. They do not have the ability to throw the ball down the field. Illinois is a pretty good defense. Um, they're the, the third ranked defense. But if you look at scoring defenses, all the Big Ten is in the top 15 or all the upper, the top half of the Big Ten is in the top, you know, 20 scoring defenses. The offenses in the Big Ten are not that good. They do not score a lot of points. If So if you go pull up Illinois' you know, schedule and you look at who scored points on them, they're basically the teams you would expect to score points on them. I did the same thing with a couple of these teams. Penn State, I think they were in the top 15 as well. What they do against Michigan? Oh, they have a 41 points. They just held Iowa, you know, to 16. Well, congratulations, everybody else did too. So you can talk about Illinois being a, a very good football team uh, defensively. Yeah, they're good. I think Michigan showed uh, more flaws this week. And the fact is, if you can stop the you know the power run game, JJ McCarthy's just a little bit limited in in his ability to throw the football. From there, we'll go to Ohio State and Maryland. Corey, you want to you want to touch on that? Yeah, um, this was a fun game to watch. Um, when you look at like the yardage and the play-by-play, or like Ohio State has 401 yards, Maryland has 402. The time of possession is like 29 minutes and 30 seconds to 30 minutes and 30 seconds. It's it's split. This is a Maryland team that came in not afraid of Ohio State, which is kind of surprising considering Maryland scored 10 points in their previous two games. They were beat 30 to nothing by Penn State last week, and this is a Maryland team that hung in there, played Ohio State tough. They were within, I want to say it was within three until until all heck broke loose and they have a, have an issue uh, throwing the ball down the field. And, and they, have the, they have the field goal before that. but Or Ohio State had the field goal before that. But, I mean, this team is a team that hung with this, hung with Ohio State. They, they made themselves look good. Tua Tagovailoa, I can't say it. Steve's not here to correct me, though. Did a great job. And, honestly, like, it, it's – it's sad that they didn't get the result because this was a trap game. Ohio state did not play as well as they could have, but props to Maryland for making this a close game. In my opinion, like it was fun to watch and the final score is a lot, a lot bigger than the game actually was. Yeah. Maryland's a trap team that they also played Michigan extremely close earlier this year. Michigan's closest loss or closest win other than last week was Maryland. That's a team and, and and not a very good football team. Anybody know their record off the top of the hand? But they're a losing football team uh, either way. Six and five. Oh, they're not. Okay, me. Look at me discrediting them. I thought they were they were five and six or four and seven. Um, so they're a little bit better than I had. Uh, appreciate you, on the, the, Johnny, on the spot there, Brian. Yeah, you mentioned you know it was a thirteen point win, but Zach Harrison has two sacks. It, it's a it's a six point game with fifty two seconds left or forty two seconds left, and Maryland's got the ball the chance to drive down the field uh now it is on their own 16 after a not great uh kickoff and zach harrison two sacks including a, a strip sack that gets caught in the air on the three yard line and walked into the end zone makes it look like a 13 point game and you know anybody who's watching box scores blows by that and says oh ohio state gave up 30 points to to maryland but doesn't think too much of it anyways i'm glad with both of these results because we get a very you know a very exciting week next week with michigan and ohio state playing undefeated one thing I'll touch on or add to the Ohio State is uh, the emergence of Dallin Hayden as a running back who's had over 100 yards in the last couple of weeks, had I think over a buck 50 this last week. Run game has been something that hasn't been there as much for Ohio State throughout the season. You look at, oh, what was that windy game? Northwestern, where they couldn't throw the ball because the wind was just nuts and that became a problem because they couldn't get their, their run game going for a large portion of the game. Having him emerge if he can continue to be that for them uh to you know take some of the obviousness out of their offense to to you know cj stroud i think okay he has excellent wide receivers not gonna put that aside but people know that they want to that ohio state wants to attack through the air and so to have that kind of weapon on the ground could be a big difference maker heading into michigan heading into the big 10 title game and then playoff or whatever bowl that they make it to very optimistic to give uh you know of you to give the the west the big 10 west uh, uh you know a shot at the 
title game and like they they could ruffle some feathers with Ohio State if they get there. Well, you know, Iowa did uh, put up 10 points against them. Uh, they did allow 54. So who knows? We'll see if they can put up 10 again and hopefully hold Ohio State to seven. Yeah, maybe maybe they can, you know, pray for wind uh, and see if they can get that <laughs> Northwest. Hey, if they get the Northwestern game, Iowa's got a shot. I'm with you. Uh, the last game we'll touch on this week is in the SEC. Uh, Corey, you got some thoughts to add on the South Carolina-Tennessee game? All right. Uh, first off, such an enjoyable game to watch from a fan perspective. I have never seen a team be so unstoppable, even against an FCS team, let alone a top five team. So South Carolina invites the balls over and they score nine out of their 10 full drives in this game. They have one drive where they punt and then I think one drive where they end the game or end, end the half. And Credit to Bud Elliott for this comment. South Carolina in conference play had 18 touchdown drives in the entire uh, from their offense in the entire conference schedule. In this game alone, they have nine. So that that kind of blows your mind a little bit. I mean, Spencer Rattler was incredible. He played lights out. It's like it was like watching a basketball player in the zone. In all honesty, he could not be stopped. And no matter what happened, he he had an answer for them. Um, it's not like Tennessee played a bad game in reality. Tennessee puts up 507 yards and, and still like is within range. I mean, I think the halftime score is 35-24, but it just South Carolina never got stopped. We do have Hendon Hooker gets hurt uh, with a torn ACL. Hope he gets better. But that's not – the game's pretty well in hand by the time that happens. You, you can't say enough. Like this is a South Carolina team that's starting to click. They're 7-4. and four. Do they beat Clemson this week? If they beat Clemson and they and they go eight and four, this is a great week for, or a great season for South Carolina, and they'll be happy with with it and see what they can build. Shane Beamer's got this team playing some ball, Beamer ball, baby. Yeah, you, you talk about a good season, an unbelievable season. It's the best eight and four you can be. You know, knocking off Clemson and Tennessee. Like you're you're probably not going to get eight better wins. Than, you know, you would have thought that those you know were included in the four losses. So uh, good for them. And the crazy thing is. Tennessee defensive backs get to watch teams not cover Jalen Hyatt every week. And you feel like that would have taught them, like, yeah, not an excellent strategy for winning football games, but there are a lot of those throws that are long down the field, and you're like, where is the defensive back? Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, what what an astonishing uh, final result to that game. I, I was driving out to Houston, and so I was listening to it in the car and uh, ended up flipping to another game because at some point – well, I – I was following and tracking the score. I was mostly listening to the to TCU game at the time. And I was tracking the score and I kept waiting for like you at uh, South Carolina to stop scoring. And he said, it never did. I didn't, I didn't realize that fact. I didn't realize they scored a touchdown basically on every drive. You know, it's one thing to score on all, you know, nine of your, your 10 drives. It's another thing to score touchdowns on nine of your 10 drives. Yeah. You mentioned something about the, the university or the stadium running out of fireworks. I don't know if that really had, did happen or not, but I mean, they scored yeah. so much. Also, not a huge vote of confidence in your team that, you know, it's not like they, they didn't send an NCAA record for points. It was 63. It's a lot, but it's not unheard of. Uh, so maybe uh, Shane Beamer ought to go talk to the uh, operations, you know, whoever's running the stadium there and try and get that alive. Like, like if it's bring enough to score 104 each week and we'll be good. So I had a buddy texting me early on on Saturday and he was showing me screenshots of another group message he was in um, with a Tennessee fan. And this Tennessee fan is going off on what frauds TCU and Michigan are. They're squeezing out these wins uh, over these these poor teams. And uh, Tennessee, you know, has only lost to Georgia and how they should be ranked above them. And and he's, you know, he's texting me. His, his dad worked at University of Michigan. So he's saying like, hey, what, what comebacks do I need? Um and, you know, we talked back and forth a little bit then, but then the day goes further on and I go, um, is that guy still on that group chat? <laughs> uh, th there was a moment after, after in the second half, the one punt that South Carolina has, Tennessee, I think closes the gap to 31, 35. There's the punt. And that's when it's like, oh, okay. What we anticipated is now going to happen. The better team will win out the talented team that's been producing all year. They're going to do their do their thing and start making stops. Uh, but nope, that was just one hiccup in, in Spencer Rattler's day. 
and then it was just touchdowns and touchdowns and touchdowns until the clock was down. And uh, what a phenomenal um, game to watch. What a mind blowing. It, 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 I really love these sort of situations where you see it's not just like they jumped out to a lead and hung on to it. It's very reminiscent to me of a uh, middle Tennessee state versus Miami earlier in the season where you go, how are they continuing to do this on a drive by drive basis? What, what is happening before my eyes really outstanding performance by the Gamecocks. Yeah. I heard a rumor somewhere that Tennessee was planning on does Tennessee play Vanderbilt next that they're trying to do a checker Vanderbilt stadium. Maybe they're thinking a little too far ahead. <laughs> Maybe they were game planning for Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt's one, two in a row now. <laughs> Who knows what's going on? That, that'll wrap the week. Um, we did fail to, to, to mention at the top of the hour uh, that Steve is not with us tonight. Um, so we'll look forward to getting him back next week. But uh, but you're, you're wondering if he's, you know, lost his voice cheering at the BYU-Utah uh, Tech game. That was not the case. Um, but, he, but he was there in the cold. Uh, so we'll look forward to having him with us next week. Uh, with that, let's jump to the win results. You know, you would have thought Brian was the one who wanted to skip this week, not Steve. But Brian's going to hand the, the, the season title over to Corey this week. I finished this week 8-2. and two. Steve went 8-2 and two as the winners of the week. Corey went 7-2. and two. And Brian has a tough week at 5-5. Five and five. Uh, To give you the, the full year summary now, Corey's opened up a, a seven-game lead. He has 86 wins. Uh, Brian has 79 wins. I've got 69, 69 wins, and Steve is in six with 67 wins. So the real storyline next week will be who will be our big loser. Will it be Steve or Mark? Uh, unless you know Corey's team's plan on going 0 for 10 next week, he's probably locked this thing up. Anybody want to really double click on their week? Uh, I'll just give a brief. Miami, I expected more than five wins from you this season. Maybe you get a sixth in this last uh, game, but. I'm not overly optimistic about your chances against Pitt. I wasn't optimistic about this week either. They played Clemson and that game went extremely as expected. Oklahoma State's hurt me a lot as the wheels have fallen off uh, down the the stretch of the season. Uh, Bedlam was not a good one for the Cowboys, a very good one for the Sooners who needed, kind of needed that at this point in the season. Baylor is is a close loss, but I was happy to watch TCU win the way they did. That was super exciting. And then Tennessee was the real shocker of the week for me. That's my my 10th round pick that I've bragged about so much. Did not anticipate the loss to, to South Carolina. But, uh, you know, a, a rough week. And Corey's a, a deserving winner of this throughout the season. He's been leading pretty much the whole time. So it's it might, might as well be cemented at this point. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm happy with what I've got. I'm going to tell my 10th round, my 10th round pick, Florida State, at eight wins, possibly nine next week. Fingers crossed. I'm not jinxing that. Um, you never know against Florida, but um, yeah, I got to get a couple wins next week. One of the ones I'm interested in watching though, Coastal Carolina playing Jet, um, James Madison University. They are 14 to 14 and a half point dogs in that game, which I would not have expected. But look across the, everywhere else; that's where they've got them. We'll see what happens. That'll be interesting. Good job, Corey. Uh, we'll officially crown you next week, uh, but it, it, impressive. Um, yeah, I think it's yeah, not too it, early. It is kind of interesting. I've already hit my, my FPI win projected total that we had at the beginning of the year. That's yeah, the week to play, and you're the only person who might. Uh, Brian, Brian's got a shot. He's got to win nine games next week to exceed. I'm 17 games below, and Steven's 12. So you're, you're the only achiever. You, you drafted everybody that they thought would suck. Maybe that's the strategy next year is, like, if the FPI thinks they're going to be bad, probably draft them. The ESPN doesn't know what they're talking about. Okay, we'll, we'll look forward now uh, with our, our look ahead. We're going to skip the segment where we do the game turn win to kind of discuss where we think the, the rest of the year will shake out. So we'll really focus this on, you know, who we think makes the playoff and, you know, what does the playoff situation look like, how, you know, games next week or, or conference championship games uh, impact that. And, Brian, will you, do you want to start us with that? Yeah. I see Ohio State beating Michigan and winning out. So I see them cementing their spot in, in the playoff. Uh, I just think they, they have a lot more weapons on offense, have a lot more ability to score uh, than, than Michigan does. Right now I'm predicting USC to drop to Notre Dame next week. We'll see if that happens or not. Notre Dame's, I mean, they're playing really good football every time I watch them. They had a, what, 44-point shutout this last week. 
So I think that one gets derailed. I don't see anyone beating Georgia. Georgia's going to be in the playoff. TCU, I think, is going to make it there. And then it's going to be that that grab for whoever the fourth team is. Right now, I see Michigan being the fourth team in the playoff. I think the third loss to LSU will be enough to put them out of contention. And I think push come to shove, you're going to put Clemson next to, to Michigan. I think you've got to put the Wolverines in there with a loss to Ohio State. It's a tough call, but that, that's that's how I see it right now. So I, I don't really have a one, two, three, four, because I don't know in what order the, the committee will put this. But I'd assume they put Georgia first, Ohio State, TCU, and then Michigan. I, I 100% agree. I think exactly the situation that you say played out. I'm not sure USC goes down to Notre Dame, though. That'll be a very fun game. Um, I'm not sure Notre Dame has enough offense. You, you talked about you know putting up 44 points this week. Uh, it was against Boston College. So, you know, they, I think there's a couple teams you could put in for like the the Harvey Dent, you know, two-face award this year. Boston College would be one of those teams. Like, are they a good team or are they a bad team? You could look at Louisville and say the same thing. Like, are they a good team or are they a bad team? Anyways, I think they got bad Boston College uh, and they put up 44 points. But I, it wouldn't shock me at all if they, they do win. Um, Notre Dame's played much better uh, in the back half of the season. Either way, I expect Ohio State to win this weekend. I think it'll be close close being 14 points or less um it won't michigan will not be embarrassed and frankly even if michigan wins i don't i don't think ohio state will get embarrassed and so either way i think you punch one of those one loss teams through the playoffs it is the the situation the sec was hoping was going to happen with alabama where it was like well we just have you know a team with one loss and it's to an undefeated team that's in the playoffs so we'll just let them sneak in uh tcu i think runs the table um and georgia wins in the sec title game and, and finishes out. I will say I'll put the finish at one Ohio State for Michigan. Um, so that's the one, or sorry, one Georgia for Michigan. I'll take Georgia out of that side. Uh, and then the two, three matchup being Ohio State TCU. I'll take Ohio State out of that side and Georgia to win the title. All right. Um, I disagree with you guys. Um, I do not have TCU in, in the playoffs. I think TV, TCU will beat Iowa State, but then depending on how things break out, they will either play Kansas State or Texas. Uh, Kansas State is a good team, has looked very, very solid and played them very, very well. And Texas has been on a roll as of a little bit late um, and is actually seeming to rely on Bijan Robinson to carry the team, which I, if you do that, you got a good chance to win. Um, so I have TCU losing in the Big 12 championship game. I have, I don't care who wins in the ACC because they're not getting in. Like you guys, Ohio State and Michigan, uh, I think a one-loss team, not blown out, gets gets in there. I do have Georgia beating LSU, and I have USC pulling it out in the Pac-12. Or Yeah, so I have Georgia at one, Michigan at four, Ohio State at two, USC at three. Now, I would love them for them to have a rematch of Michigan and Ohio State if it's close. Like, put them at two and three and see what happens again. But in reality, you need to see how these teams, how good these teams actually are and give the Big Ten a chance. That's an interesting idea, though. You give the Big Ten a chance from each side, and you have potentially what happened with the SEC championship or with the SEC teams playing each other for the championship. You could have that for the Big Ten championship. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think you're going to – I think Georgia's the best team in the country. I think they play with their food a little bit. I don't think they'll lose, but they could get snake bitten. You never know. If TCU got yeah. in there, I'd be happy to see them be snake bitten. I'm happy to see Georgia be snake bitten. Period. Not by a Harbaugh team, most soft, most likely, but you know, whatever. I'm I'm not mad at that suggestion. Splitting the Ohio State Michigan, I fully expect that that would not end up as the title game. But that would, you know, that would be an awesome title game. Not not only is it the same conference, but the biggest rivalry in you know in the conference gets to show up in the title game. Um, it reminds me of Florida, Florida State in 1996-97. Florida State beats Florida in the champ or in the regular season. Florida smashes Florida State in the championship game and goes on to win the title that year. Yeah. I would accuse you of, you know, just front running. You, you've always been a you've been pro USC from the beginning of the year and you drafted them. And so I feel like you you had to front running's not the right word, but you know, just uh, sticking to your guns and you know, that's my story and I'm sticking to it but you've been right about everything this year. So, I mean, maybe we just take what you've said and go to Vegas and see how it works out. 
Yeah, Mark, I'm surprised you don't still have a Texas A&M projected for this Final Four. I, I haven't seen at six. They came in at six. They just <laughs> fell to, to six again. 106? Is that what you meant? Yeah, 106. I, I like that number because it's like they're number one if you look at only the first digit, but then if you look at the back two, they're still number six. Well, with that, uh, let's let's look ahead. We you know we've touched on some rivalry. We Corey, you get the enviable, enviable, yikes, the enviable position of going first and stealing everybody's games and leaving them in a in a uh, scramble. You know, as our our most famous uh, person. What what are you uh, what are you looking forward this week? Actually, there's a lot of games I'm looking forward to. So I'm going to pass this on and then pick up the games that you guys don't pick up. Brian, how do oh, you start? This? Charitable. Well, I'll, I'll start with Florida State, Florida. That's the game that I personally am looking forward to the most. Florida State has a chance to go nine and three on the season. They're looking really good heading into this. Florida is coming off of a bad loss to Vanderbilt. One where they kind of got their act together in the second half, but it was too late. And they're going to need need a complete game in order to beat the Seminoles, I think, this year. And it's in Dope Campbell Stadium, so the Seminoles have them at home. And a chance to break what I think is a three-game win streak for the Gators in the in the series right now. It'll be Norvell's first win if he can get it over the Gators. Nine and three would be a massive year for the Seminoles, given they haven't been to a bowl in several years at this point. It would be a, a big turnaround, and all the, the media that surrounded is Norvell in the hot seat, where exactly is he? would be would be put to bed with that sort of situation also really excited for michigan ohio state like this is going to be the game that has the biggest as far as we can tell the biggest impact on the college football playoff if one of these teams can distance themselves from the other they can put themselves in and equally put the other person out um, if they look poor enough i don't think either of them has other significant enough victories on their resume to weather an absolute beatdown uh, and still make it in i think at that point now you're now you're looking at other people's resumes and you go okay this team at least has a quality win these teams quality win is is both penn state um and i guess notre dame for ohio state but early season notre dame who we thought was terrible and lost to marshall so tough one to to gauge there um vanderbilt tennessee vanderbilt I took last week for an exciting game. I don't know if they'll be able to do anything in Tennessee. They will be playing against Milton, who I do think is a good quarterback. I think he's not going to be uh, a pushover. But if Vanderbilt can win this, they're going to sneak into bull eligibility. They've got good momentum. I favor the Vols heavily. But, hey, Vanderbilt's giving me stuff to watch, so I'm going to keep on watching them. You've got my attention. Uh, last one I'll take, uh, Ole Miss-Mississippi State. This one will be fun from a perspective of which coaches are there by the end of next week. There's rumors about Lane Kiffin going to Auburn and those only got exacerbated when they got blown out by Arkansas this last week. And people are going, Oh, he's just looking ahead to the next job. But there's also at least some mutterings of discontent with Mike Leach at Mississippi state. And I think both of these jobs are positions where you could see a potential push for a Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is coaching in Mississippi. I think he's going to get some offer from not only a high D1 school, I think probably an SEC school. And I think either of these schools would be candidates. Surely Ole Miss would want to hold on to Kiffin. And ultimately, I kind of expect him to leverage the Auburn stuff, get himself one of these massive 10-year contracts and, and call it good at Ole Miss if, the, if they're willing to offer it, which I think, I think they'd probably be willing to. But that one will be, I, I think, in terms of coaching carousel, I, that's what I'm mostly excited for that one. I think Ole Miss should hold the the vast advantage in that game. But, yeah, an exciting one. Uh, and I believe that one's on Thanksgiving Day, so one that might come out before this podcast does. But exciting matchup there. Yeah, not only for coaching carousel, but coaching commentaries. We got two of the best mouths in the league uh, as coaches. And, uh, you know. Always a good time when you get Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach in a room. I'll take uh, Notre Dame USC. That's one you didn't touch on that I'm really excited for. I don't know if Notre Dame has the offense to beat USC. That said, USC's one loss is against a Utah team that is very similar to Notre Dame. I would say Utah's got a little bit better quarterback play, uh, a significant, significantly better quarterback, but their best player is a tight end, um, Dalton Kincaid killed USC uh, in their matchup a few weeks ago. 
So maybe you leverage that that playbook. Um, both teams that like to run the football. Uh, so maybe maybe Notre Dame has you know is constructed to beat USC. They also got Marcus Freeman. I think you know coaches a, a strong defense came in well game planned against Ohio State in week one. I think you could do the same thing against USC. So it's really hard, you know, it's really high power USC offense to try and slow down uh, Jordan Addison and Caleb Williams. And they got good production out of the running backs last week, uh, which was going to be a question mark. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. I expect USC to win, but won't be shocked if Notre Dame wins. And frankly, we'll probably be pulling for Notre Dame in that game, um, despite, you know, my dad's feelings on that. Uh, I'll call T Tulane Cincinnati. They, you know, Tulane UCF game was a, a terrific game. Um, this one will determine, you know, who's the uh, regular season winner of the AEC. Uh, so that'll be a, a fun game to watch. And then, uh, Coral, I'll, I'll, I'll let you pick up everything else. I'll flip it over to you. Yeah, so um, I, I am in agreement with you on the four-state, you know, Florida game. I really care about that one. Um, I want to talk about the Tulane-Cincinnati game because this is an interesting game. Like, so originally we had a three-way tie with UCF, you know, Cincinnati and Tulane, all one loss. UCF loses this week. And, and UCF actually owned the head-to-head -head on both of those teams. So they beat both of those teams, so they would have gone in. Gone in. But they lost this week, so they they're, have two losses. So the scenarios in the round of this game are really interesting. If Cincinnati beats Tulane and UCF beats USF and Houston beats uh, Tulsa, I think it is, then you end up with a three-way three tie for second. And since they don't they didn't all play each other head-to-head, head-to-head head goes out the window – and you end up having Tulane go back into the championship game for a rematch, um, potentially. So it could get really fun and interesting, and just to see how that plays out. It'd be fun. I'm interested in the uh, what happens in the Big 12. I really want to see who ends up playing TCU. And right now you're down to two options, K-State and Texas. If K-State handles business against Kansas, um, they're, they're in. If not, and Texas beats up Baylor, Texas is in because te Texas owns a head-to-head -head against Baylor or against Kansas State. Both teams are good teams. I'm really interested to see who gets in there to play TCU because I think they both would give TCU a really good game. But the pressure's on for Kansas State, so that'll be interesting. Lastly, Pitt at Miami. It's a home game for Pitt. I mean, sorry, it's at home for Miami, so it's basically a home game for Pitt. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, Neutral site. But Pitt favored by six and a half points. Um and if they win, Miami doesn't get those extra 15 practices. And I know Florida State hasn't had those extra 15 practices for the last few years, and they've hurt us. I'm looking forward to having them for, as a team. Um, but if Miami doesn't get them, I'll be so happy about that. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how this next week goes. The last one I want to pick on, I think maybe said last one, but one more I want to pick on is Clemson, South Carolina. That South Carolina was firing on all cylinders. Can they do it again? Because – we all know Clemson's defense does not know what they're doing in the back half. Like those DBs cannot cover. Can Spencer Rattler destroy them? Can Clemson's over off defensive line hinder Spencer Rattler from destroying them? We'll see. And let's say we already know that DJ U can throw a game at any point in time. So that one will be a fun one, even though Clemson is 14 and a half point favorites. Well, let's wrap it up with our party shots then. Um, I've just got a quick comment that we failed to mention uh, earlier for a throwback to last week's uh, podcast, Texas A&M. We, we didn't have a whole lot of faith in you to cover the 33-point spread that you hadn't scored 33 points all, all year, uh, only 20 against UMass. So um, better luck next time. I'm curious with Miami. Corey talked about those 15 bowl game practices. I, I don't think I think Pitt's going to win that game. I think <laughs> if you've been watching Miami recently, it's hard to bet on them to win a game. I'm curious if a year from now we'll be looking at this as the one-year hiccup under Mario Cristobal while he's getting in his players, he's getting everything situated and, and you know, getting players bought in and players who aren't bought in out. Uh, or if this is going to be viewed as year one of the Scott Frost era for Nebraska where it's this home run hire we thought was going to bring in everything. This hire that me as a fan of an opposing team was scared of I, I really was I really was dreading him getting this job and it just has 
I mean, the, this is the worst version of a Miami football season that you could have anticipated this year. I, I, I couldn't have seen it going this way. So not necessarily a parting shot, but, you know, h- how will we view this season? It, it could very well be that they'll turn things around and, and get things right. Heck, they might beat Pitt and continue to play this year. But it could also be the very reverse where you go, why did we put all this, you know, money out there for somebody who's not going to get the job done? Mario Cristobal is a little bit better Willie Taggart, in my opinion. He he recruits better. He'll win more games because he recruits better. But he does not know how to run a program organized, in my opinion. I have no insight into inside his program, inside his program. But from the outside, that's what it looks like, and that's kind of how Willie Taggart was. It wasn't an organized program. No props to Crystal Ball. He can recruit because I mean, look at what Oregon's doing currently. But he can't finish the game and can't put it together. So I think we have Miami sitting at the top of the ACC like three or four for the next few years until they realize they can't get over the hump. All right. With that, we'll wrap up. We appreciate you tuning in for a, another week of the CFB paint podcast. Follow us on our, our socials, both on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, as always, feel free to engage with us. We, we love the, the comments and uh, questions we get. And so we'd be happy to address those in our podcast and we'll, uh, we'll chat with you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to another episode of the CFB Paint Podcast. We're dropping new episodes every week. Be sure to rate us five stars on any and every service where you listen to the pod. And if you feel so inclined, let your friends know about us. As always, thanks, Mom, for giving birth to us. And to all the rest of our listeners, we'll see you next week.